0: You're listening to New Stories, Bold Legends, stories from Sydney Lunar Festival, a podcast about Australians who celebrate Lunar New Year, from artists to brain surgeons, fashion designers, as we'll hear in this episode, to board directors. I'm Valerie Koo, and I'm the City of Sydney's curator of the Sydney Lunar Festival. I'm also an artist, writer and CEO of the Australian Writers' Centre. In this series we discover the personalities and passions of people who meld their cultural traditions with this sunburnt country they call home. Angela Fung is one third of the fashion label High Tea with Mrs Wu, an Australian-made clothing label based in Newcastle, which she runs with her two sisters, Rowena and Juliana Fung. The trio have been pattern-making, sampling, cutting and producing designs from their workshop and retail store since 2004. The sisters moved to Australia from Malaysia with their parents in 1988. Thanks for joining us today, Angela. You're welcome. This is awesome. Well, I love your label, High Tea with Mrs. Wu. For listeners who aren't familiar with it yet, can you just tell us a little bit about it, when it started and what it's about?
1: Okay. Well, we are three sisters, Rowena, Juliana and Angela Fung. We live in Newcastle um, and we have a clothing label called High Tea with Mrs. Wu and we also have our own little boutique store uh, in Cooksill in Newcastle. Um, We started High Tea in 2004, so we're essentially 14 years in, um, which seems like a long time for a small little local-made clothing label, Um, Mm. and we pretty much uh, make beautiful women's wear, all natural fibres. We really believe in longevity. We believe in super quality made clothing that that you can wear in different ways across the seasons, across the continents. And, you know, you look after them, you wear them well, you pass them on. Um, And they have a lot of character. We love prints, but we also love texture. So lots of cottons and linens and and tensils and and things that make you feel and,
0: and look great. So you have this label with two of your sisters and the three of you actually came over with your parents from Malaysia, I believe when you were six years old, to Newcastle. So yeah. you're, you're ethnic Chinese but born in Malaysia, right? What was it like coming to Newcastle at the age of six? Can you remember?
1: Yeah, I I still can remember. It was crazy actually because we're from Kuala Lumpur and so it was the most intense, busy, bustling city, we had a big, big family, um, have a big family, obviously, and we spent lots of time together. And I guess our parents, um, they're in the medical field and they had three daughters, which, you know, is, is tricky as, a, as an Asian family. They really hope to have a son. <laughs> and I guess they, they felt like, okay, well, we've got three girls and how are we going to give them a really good opportunity? Because also being Chinese Malaysian, we were not the majority um, ethnicity, so we weren't, mm. we weren't Malay. Um, so there it was already a slight disadvantage in that sense. And I guess they felt like they wanted us to give to give us a better opportunity um, opportunity in life uh, so they, they, they took a plan they took a giant leap of faith and they managed to get uh, a visa and sponsorship to move to like of all places to move to Newcastle in <laughs> Australia.
0: Why, why Newcastle? How did they know about Newcastle? They just actually happened to have a
1: colleague in um, the medical field that had moved to Newcastle and set up a little practice, and so he introduced my dad um, uh, and said, "Look, you know, maybe we could work out a way for you guys to come if that's what you want to do." So, yeah, we were very lucky because I mean, the the company took um, a big risk and sponsored dad to bring us all out here, and we, you know, really were very young. So I was six, Jules was eight, Row was ten. Um, And my parents were only in their late 30s and they kind of said, look, if we make this move, there's no looking back. Like we're going to do it and we're going to go forward. And coming to Newcastle, like it wasn't a big city. So back then 30 years ago, it was very um, Caucasian. It was very industrial. So they still had the BHP works and it felt very, uh, I guess, isolated because we were one of the very few um, Asian families Mm. And we spoke, you know, obviously a little bit of English but not in a very clear way. Like our, our accent was very strong. Um, mm. We ate weird food and, <laughs> you know, we didn't really fit in. Um, but our parents were like, look, we're going to do this. So you are either all all in or, or we go home. So they gave us the mm. opportunity. It was two years in after we moved here that they said, they, they asked us, they, they let us choose. Wow. And they took us back to Malaysia. I remember it was um, 1990 um, at Christmas time, and they said, "Look, do you, you want? Know, now we're back in, you know, our home, Malaysia home. Do you want to stay here, or do you want to go back to our other home?" And like Jules was like, "We're going back to Australia. The chips are awesome. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we move back. <laughs> of course, now, the chips.
1: The chips. Like I mean, Western food was so amazing and so like." Unusual for us, we would have Western night on Sunday as a treat, and we would do like you know all our, our typical awesome Chinese Malaysian food all throughout the week, and then Western night on Sunday was like fish fingers and crinkle cut chips. They're you know, from the oh frozen packet. God. It was amazing. It was the best thing ever
0: all right so you guys decided to stay on the basis of the tubes, probably the crinkle cut chips, <laughs> the <wrinkle> cut chips. <laughs> so when you were here and you said that there weren't very many asian people in newcastle at the time or families in newcastle at the time was that something that was obvious to you or or it didn't even kind of register and you just got on with life
1: Oh, it was so obvious. It was really, really tricky because we started school. like It was hardest for Ro because she was already mm. she was already in Year Five when when we came, and it was easier for me because I was only going into kindergarten. So, um, I guess for me it was like, oh, you know, this is the new thing. I'm going to school. Whereas for Ro, she would already been at school for such a long time, and she she got like Ro and Jules got you know picked on, um, mm. you know, had weird, we had sort of olive skin and dark hair, and we didn't have freckles and all that sort of stuff. So it was really hard. And we also, like, we ate differently. So we wouldn't bring the sandwiches to school. Like, mum and dad would pack us a thermos with fried rice in it.
0: Yeah.
1: And, like, that was I mean, delicious. But everyone else was eating, like, Devon Devon sandwiches. <laughs> Devon and sauce and, like, yeah. cheese and Vegemite. And we thought, whoa, what is that stuff? That's amazing. So we'd swap. <laughs> like, eventually, we kind of, like, got, we got to, like, to be cool because we had rice. <laughs> and people would come up and... Asked for a scoop of rice to swap for half their sandwich. So it was pretty funny. <laughs> Eventually, <Wow. laughs> but it wasn't. So, well, it definitely wasn't wasn't a smooth sailing. It was, and we refused to speak our own language, which was very hard for my parents because we wanted to assimilate. So yeah. we just they they tried to send us to Chinese school. We used to go every Saturday morning. Yes, and they wanted us to speak because we speak Cantonese, but they wanted mm-hmm. us to speak Mandarin because they thought it would be better for our future. And they just kept. You know, insisting that we go, we we all just really didn't like it because then our accent was, you know, not Aussie, and mm. they eventually gave up. Which is a unfortunately, we now wish that we just listened to our parents because we could speak fluent
0: Mandarin and we can't. Mm. <laughs> yes. So you said it wasn't smooth sailing. Was there any point where it became smooth sailing? Was there any point where your ethnicity was just a non-issue?
1: Um, I think. Kind of, in a way, there was as more ethnic families came into Newcastle, that was better and also not just Asians. So we would have more Vietnamese, more Italian, more Greek. So you'd have lots of other cultures. Mm-hmm. And then you felt like at school it wasn't just that, you know, we were Asian. There's also Indian families and there was also, you know, other uh, Eastern European families. So that felt a bit better because then there was more kind of weird people around, which was great. <laughs> <laughs> and you know we we got to you know share funny stories about what we ate i mean everything over food is is such great learning and sharing um yes. so it, it did get better but i think we always still felt like we stood out so i mean yeah. this is where clothing comes in we didn't um we didn't ever really get to a point where we were just kind of like we're like everybody else because it's very clear that we're not like physically mm. um we tried Jules tried to um draw freckles on her face and, you know, Rowan would dye their hair all different colours. And mum and dad, like, obviously they they kind of just tried to be supportive because they knew it was hard. So they tried not to like I mean they didn't like it, but they tried not to stop us from being experimental mm. because we were just trying to figure out how to fit in. And then we got to a point and I mean I'm I'm lucky I'm the youngest because Rowan Jules paved the way for me to be okay and be comfortable with all of this stuff because they tested all kinds of things and it was really cool because we they got to a point and then eventually me that we just went you know what we're never going to be the same so let's just be really different and then we started making our own clothes that were like crazy like row and safety pins and weird sort of combinations cutting up up shop clothing and because mum and dad said look we don't have any money to buy you clothes so here's a sewing machine I'll teach you the basic stuff and you're going to have to make your own clothes.
0: So your parents came to Newcastle you were saying partially to have a better life for their children for, for for their daughters, yes, what were their expectations of the three of you? What did they think that you were gonna maybe do or what were their hopes? <laughs> they
1: had really high hopes like they <laughs> thought they would you know take on this massive um this massive leap of faith and take all of the 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 savings they had and and, you know, the dollar was a, a third, so the, mm. the value of the Malaysian currency converted to Australia, you know, it got cut into, into one third. So they just thought, look, the best thing they could do is to bring us to this awesome place, land of opportunity, and we would become, we'll go to university, we would become doctors, uh, engineers, accountants, lawyers, we'd have, you know, awesome careers that would propel us for the future and probably, you know, sustain their living when they got older and not so like not be seamstresses because you know that that would have probably been something that we would have done in Malaysia maybe like we're you know so being Chinese and being female you just have less opportunities so um they really did hope for that but then Bro and Jules ended up they're just really artistic so they both ended up doing design and so the the hopes were, were left on me so I did accounting I did commerce and economics (laughs) (laughs) and I got a job in Deloitte and I got you know I did all the stuff and I was supposed to continue on that path but we had just started the business and so um I I said to Deloitte can I have a year off please just so I can you know get myself together I didn't go back
0: right so you were planning just to take a year off the world of Deloitte and to see what was going to happen in the business and then were you planning on going back
1: yeah, I think it was just a test because it was only just. It was for fun. Like we, when we were growing up, we loved playing shop because we grew up in a, in a shop house family. Like our our grandparents in Gamas, a lovely old little village, countryside town. Um, they had a goldsmith shop, so when we would go back and hang out with our grandparents, we, you know, we had that awesome. Um, I mean, it's really nostalgic and you know, I can still feel and, and see what was around me. Old, beautiful old building, inside, outside shop house, the shop in the front. We all lived in the back. My my dad grew up there with like, you know, 30 family members. Now, he was one, the eldest of six children and he was the son. But all, so all six children and my grandparents lived in one room and they all slept underneath the bed. Like it was just, that's how you did things and every, my grandma cooked for everybody, like the entire extended family. And so we have mm. these great these great memories of, you know, running around the shop house, peeking through the old timber floorboards and, you know, helping grandma cook and great-grandma cook. Um, so all that stuff was such a big influence. It was really hard to leave that because we, once we came to Australia, our parents also did tell us that we can't fly back to Malaysia often because it's mm. extremely expensive to fly five people back. Mm. So it was kind of like you know you we're really we aware of what we're giving up, but they believe yeah. what we would gain would be a lot you know better for our future.
0: So tell me about how high tea with Mrs Wu started and where did the name come from and and when did you kind of think you know this is this is a real thing this isn't just a hobby.
1: Yeah, well I guess what happened was my Roe was the elder, so she. She was in university and her friend just said to her, look, I run this op shop on Derby Street and I'm kind of sick of it. she had been doing it for a few years and I want to go traveling. So do you want to take over it? Like it was so random. Mm -hmm. And Ro was like, oh, that's kind of a – I mean, it was a cool idea because we always played shop when we were little. So, I mean, imagine that, like a real shop. And the rent was really low and it was a really great little location. I mean, there was nothing much else on Derby Street but it was a cute shop And our parents thought we were nuts, but they said, okay, look, you can, you can, you can save, like you put your savings in. I think we put a thousand dollars in each. That's, that's how we started. And Mm -hmm. we said, we'll just give it a go. And we just, we took over an op shop essentially. So we would go to the, um, the collection depots and we would, you know, rifle through and find really great op shop clothing. And then we would resell. But Mm -hmm. I mean, we weren't thinking about, you know, actually making any living from it. So Mm -hmm. A couple of years in, we're like, this isn't isn't actually working because there's charity stores, which is for charity. It's also really bad for our hay fever because we're, you know, block noses. (laughs) And (laughs) then we started just putting one rack, one rack in the shop because we were already sewing for ourselves and our friends thought our clothes were wacky and fun. So, you know, we made a few things and then people liked it. We're like, oh, that's kind of funny. People like clothes that we make. So then one rack became two racks and then – the, um, the start of 2004 we're like okay let's just let's give it a proper go like if we're going to we can't do the op shop thing because it doesn't work um, we need to make a living because we can't pay our bills so let's try at least to make some more clothes and then we'll see what happens so that's the, the point that we launched it was like our parents it's all or nothing you're going to give it a big proper go and if it doesn't work in a couple of years you know we've all got uni degrees we can go and do something else and then we um Yeah, it's from there we just – it's very – like we're really slow. Like we haven't got investors, you know, besides obviously our parents who have been incredibly supportive. It's all very slow. Save, learn, make, go to lots of, you know, seminars, talk to people, ask lots of questions and then we, you know, slowly, slowly just rolled on um, and kept on making and trying new ideas and somehow we're still doing it this many years later. Did you imagine that you would be? I don't think we thought about it really. I think Mm. it was just fun and it was challenging. And I guess we kept thinking all the time, if it doesn't work out, we can always do something else. Like we're we're savvy enough to be able to go, all right, we can work in a cafe or we can – my sister can, you know, get get into graphic design or we can, you know, do some – like get back into accounting. Like it wasn't – it never felt like we couldn't do something else.
0: Yes. And so – High Tea with Mrs Wu is such a great name. Where did it come from?
1: Yeah, it's, it's definitely, you know, all about our heritage because Malaysia was colonised by the British and we have this really wonderful nostalgic memory of a special occasion. So like it be a Sunday, maybe someone's birthday or a special event and mum would dress us up in, you know, pretty dresses mm-hmm. and nice little shoes and we We'd gather with our ladies in our family more so, so and we had some pretty amazing like super strong willed women in our lives, like our aunties and aunties that weren't really our aunties, but you call them aunties anyway yeah so there's all those those women, our grandma, our great grandma like there's all these people around us, women around us that um have just yeah they've worked really hard, they have very um beautiful sort of strong attitudes towards things, and I guess those women. Are what Mrs Wu represents. It's not our surname. It's not anyone we particularly know. She's our, our muse.
0: You know, mm-hmm. she's kind of like
1: the woman that you know is 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 strong and confident and believes in herself and you know feels that she can she can do good. And I guess high high tea that that ex- that experience of having a mix. So it was like a, a scones and sandwiches from the sort of British influence. And then the beautiful quays and yon desserts and dumplings from the Asian influence, that's what high tea was in Malaysia. And Mm. that combination of those flavors and those those treats, sweet and savory, that's how we felt, I guess, about us in Australia. Like it was Mm. this real mix of um, cultures, but we still wanted to like remind ourselves that we are malaysian like that's where we were born and that's our culture but we we are like well what Mum and dad called it we were Aussiefied. you know we we (laughs) don't we did not have the accent anymore Like we go back to malaysia and they didn't understand us because our our english was australian yeah so it was tricky because you know then now we felt like we were in between we weren't at home in malaysia but we were still kind of working our way Feeling like we were almost home in Australia, but now for sure, especially actually having a business, it makes you um, get some grounding and we've because we make so many incredible friends and we've met so many incredible people, colleagues, customers through Mrs. Wu, we just mm. feel like this is such an amazing community to be in.
0: And would you say that the design aesthetic has uh, any influence from from Asia?
1: Yeah, initially more so. Initially, we we did it like we loved, we still do. We love prints, and we used to clash the prints a lot. So we'd mix all different types of print and almost patchwork it in a way. Um, but as we have become a bit older, matured, and our clothing needs have changed a little, our customers have also aged like us. We've kind of gone more with textures. We do still do a lot of prints, but. They might be not as much of that sort of clashing um, mix. And we work with Japanese textiles and we, uh, three of us, absolutely love Japan. And I started studying Japanese when I was about six, like right at the beginning of school. Um, And, yeah, it was just a a cool thing that our school offered, our primary school offered. And mum and dad said, do you want to learn? And I said, Yes. So, um, how funny that uh, you
0: hated going to Mandarin school on Saturdays, (laughs) but you really wanted to learn Japanese.
1: And I don't know why, because I mean, Japanese. My our grandfather has horrific memories of Japan and all the horrible things that happened in Malaysia. So, Mm. I don't know why it is that there was this affinity to Japan. But as soon as I started learning, I just loved the language, and I got to go to Japan for the first time when I was sixteen, and just decided that that was my other home, and that's a really bizarre thing to say. Um, but then my sisters eventually, like we went together, and we all just felt the same kind of feeling of homesickness, which is really weird because it's not at all where we're from. But we feel really comfortable there. Probably, I think it's the aesthetics and the the culture. Um, it's very kind of it's really thoughtful. It's not. It, it, there is some obviously some really great con- contrasting ideas in japan but i think we love the the serenity and and the minimalist tones of certain things and the wabi-sabi aesthetic where you know imperfection is really celebrated and of Mm. course the textiles which is just phenomenal like their quality their attention to detail all the sort of things that we love from a design point of view um so we definitely have the the influence from that that part of the world Um, but we've we've adapted that to our own country because Australia is really unique like we're a big Mm. island we're really far away from everything else so what we design is actually for for the Australian
0: climate and for the Australian people. So can you speak Japanese? I
1: can not totally fluently um, but I can can get by.
0: So you speak Japanese you mentioned that you speak Cantonese do you speak Cantonese? (laughs) a little like a 5 year old. <laughs> okay, not so good at mandarin cuz you didn't like going okay. to Saturday class. I so wish. you have you have two children, uh age 4 and age 2. And um are you encouraging them to learn any of the languages you speak and um how are you bringing any or if at all Asian traditions or cultural um, you know aspects into their lives?
1: Yes I think the tricky thing is I mean if I spoke fluently any of the other languages I I definitely would have been uh, more likely to just speak only in that language but because I can't speak completely fluently it's quite tricky and of course my husband um, speaks English so we're an English household mum and dad speak some Cantonese to them it's kind of mixed um, and I have been speaking some Japanese to them as well so I think they will have kind of an idea I mean they definitely are aware that they're from a a different type of cultural household and we keep some fairly um, simple traditions so mum and dad are still fairly traditional like they still eat Chinese Malaysian food um, we have uh, family dinner once a week so all the grandkids so there's six grandkids in total we all go to their place we usually have a feast of curry or or duck or siu york char siu or you know some kind of delicious homemade thing like nasi lemak for special occasions gai fan all that sort of stuff that is really uniquely malaysian and our kids love it like we they are rice eaters like we Rojals and i we just feel so comfortable eating rice and our kids do too, rice and noodles. Um, so I think food-wise, it's still a really big part of our lives and our kids' lives. Like I still cook probably half the week will be um, Chinese Malaysian food and then of course we go to my parents' house and for family, other family things um, but then of course that – My husband, Matt's uh, family, we get to eat all kinds of other food, which my kids also love. So it's kind of great. They get a bit of both. But we definitely, like Chinese New Year, Lunar New Year is still the most important thing for our family to celebrate together. And we really look forward to that every year.
0: So speaking of Lunar New Year, so let me just clarify your husband is Australian Caucasian and yes. obviously you met him here and um yeah but and he joins in and all the food. Oh totally <laughs> he loves sounds it. Like, the, sounds like food it. is a big, big part of your <laughs> yeah. life. It sure um, is. But speaking of Lunar New Year, uh what does Lunar New Year mean to you?
1: Lunar New Year is a really special time. Like I guess what happens is that it's a it's a moment to sort of stop and reflect and to realize what has happened in the year before um things that have you know, that have been great things that have been tough and also what is coming up in the new year and just be thankful you know spend time together we generally just have um you know one big family gathering but but the thing is we are only us like it's my mom and dad. And then us the three daughters. So we've made like a new family here with our partners and our children. Um, my the rest of my family is still in Malaysia. We have some awesome my, my dad's got cousins in Sydney and my parents have some really great friends as well who are from Malaysia. But but generally in terms of our core family, we it's just it's just us. So it's really nice that our partners and their families and also our friends kind of know about Lunar New Year and, you know, we also celebrate with them. So um, I used to do this thing just before having kids because it has have been a bit crazy but – we would have a gathering with my other Singaporean friend and the two of us would cook for all of our friends for, for New Year and we celebrated that with an extended family, which is our friends. Um, and the kids, you know, we do the, the traditional um, salad toss, the yisang, and that's super <laughs> yes. fun and it's messy and it's crazy and the kids are screaming, lo, hey, lo, hey. And, you know, it's a really beautiful thing to share with people who at uh, the rest of our friends and family who aren't um, used to that tradition. So we definitely do that. You yeah, know, we we cook the prawns and the long long life noodles, and we pass out Hong Bao, and the kids love that, of course. And we dress up in red, and so all of those little things that I think, as long as we keep that going, because that's important to my parents, it's important to us, and we we pass that on to our kids. You know, it's something pretty special to remind us all that that's our heritage.
0: And finally, what are you most looking forward to in the Year of the Pig? Well, the year of the pig. I think well, in terms of
1: reflection, this year is our thirty year anniversary of being in Australia. Oh, so year, okay. Yeah, the year of the dog. And I'm born in the year of the dog. Um, it's a pretty special year. Like we have um and dad just turned seventy yesterday. So we're kinda of having a pretty momentous um year and time of going, Hey, we've done it. Like our parents are incredible people to do all of this for us to give us these incredible opportunities so we're really stopping to go right this is this is it like we didn't know that this would be our lives they took a a a big jump we arrived here we've done all these things that our parents probably didn't expect but we've we've all done it together like we couldn't have done mrs Wu without our parents and of course our partners as well but our parents never told us no and that's a pretty big thing when they expected us to be successful doctors and lawyers and <laughs> engineers. And they they never actually said to us, no, you can't start a clothing shop and a clothing business. They just said, if you're going to do this together as three sisters and we don't have any other siblings, if you have to promise us one thing. If there ever becomes a point where it affects your relationship as sisters, the business has to go. And we promised them that. So we had troubles in the beginning and we had a friend who was a lawyer who mentored us and that helped us get through tricky situations. But we always had that in mind. If anything was to, to make it too difficult for our relationship as sisters, then we would give the business up. So we've been very lucky that We've been able to ride through crazy highs and lows. Like clothing is a really tough industry and we make in Australia, like it's us making it in our studio, our little team. We're not um, interested in producing overseas because this is our country. This is our industry, which is dying and we need to support it and we feel very strongly about uh, keeping it local. So I guess, you know, we're feeling pretty reflective and proud and we're looking forward to lots of cool things next year. We're really – Hope that um, we can keep on improving on what we're doing and work towards more sustainable practices and start, you know, collaborating with other like-minded people. Um, yeah, hopefully thinking more about how we can, you know, move or encourage more people to be thoughtful about their clothing consumption because this whole fast fashion thing is is um, very very upsetting, and it's causing great damage to our environment, so it really just comes down to being aware and I think we're we're part of that conversation because we um are, are taking more steps towards opening up, talking to people about it, being on the social media, you know talking about slow wearing, um, making better decisions with your dollars. so that's kind of where we're we're heading and really looking forward to the year of the pig.
0: And on that note, thank you so much for joining us today, Angela.
1: Thank you so much, Valerie. It's been an absolute pleasure.
0: I hope you enjoyed my chat with Angela Fung from High Tea with Mrs Wu. Angela mentioned the salad toss, which I explained in Episode 3, and that during Lunar New Year, they exchange hongbaos, which I mentioned in Episode 1. She also said that they wear red, which is very common during this celebration. Apart from wearing clothes that are new, it's very common to wear red during this time because red symbolises good luck and a fresh start for the year ahead. If you think that might be a bit full on to wear all red, then bright colours or clothes with bits of red in them are okay too. The key is not to wear all black or all white because they're considered unlucky colours during this time. Thanks for listening to New Stories, Bold Legends, stories from Sydney Lunar Festival. My name's Valerie Koo and you can connect with me at valeriekoo.com. That's K-H-O-O. To find out more about the City of Sydney's Sydney Lunar Festival, go to sydneylunarfestival.com. Or to find out more about the people featured in this podcast and any of the links I've mentioned, and to keep up to date with further episodes, go to newstories.net.au.